Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 137. We're recording this on Thursday, 30th of April 2015. And the reason we waited till Thursday was that yesterday there was a rather uh, big announcement and a big event in San Francisco. Rafe, is that right? There absolutely was. Of course, we're talking about Build 2015, which is Microsoft's major developer conference. And given that this is also the year of Windows 10, it's no surprise that there's going to be a lot to talk about. I think a lot of things making big splash in the headlines. And uh, we've traditionally seen things like WWDC and uh, Google I.O. really hit the headlines. Uh, this is the kind of equipment event for Microsoft. I don't think it gets still quite the same level of attention from some of the consumer media uh, and from some of the smartphone geeks. But in some ways, this is just as far reaching because, of course, Windows remains the dominant uh, desktop computing platform, uh, but there's plenty to talk about from a mobile point of view as well. And indeed, actually sort of making that distinction between mobile and desktop is certainly starting to become uh, a bit of a, a misnomer. It's not you know, the same everywhere, but that's one of the things we're going to touch on, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, any rumours that we couldn't record on Tuesday night because uh, I was off swanning at myself at some G4 launch and uh, couldn't record last night because I was down the pub are entirely misplaced. Not true. Well, it actually is. But um, anyway, it's worked out very well, Rafe, because (laughs) Windows 10 has had a couple of major um, announcements and clarifications. There's plenty to talk about. I I, I put a digest of all the stuff from yesterday up on the site this morning, and maybe we can just go through them bullet point by bullet point. I think I've I've managed to condense them enough that we can talk about them without getting too bogged down, Rafe. And just starting off with, uh, I think it's Terry Myerson, um, said he aims to see Windows 10 on 1 billion devices within two to three years of Windows 10's availability. Now, surely Android reached a billion ages ago. Is is it just that he's fixating on the fact that there'll be one single version that everybody can target? Is that where he's he's going? Uh, I think so, because certainly if you consider Android in all its various forms, uh, it definitely gets, I think even with just looking at smartphones, you'll you'll be getting there given the numbers out there. Maybe you could fudge it with sort of concurrent devices, but if it's not there yet, yeah, Android will certainly be there uh, very soon. And actually, even on the version count, it depends how you do it. I, I would expect to see, you know, a billion version four and above uh, Android devices out there. And, you know, just because Microsoft is counting kind of 10 as a new starting point, I mean, I think they gave them themselves a couple of years to get there. I think that's kind of uh, not really the point in one sense. It's really the scale of ambition for Windows. And I think it's a nice reminder, actually, just how many Windows devices are out there. Because certainly when you look at it through the, the mobile lens, you know, Windows Phone is only available on a relatively small number of devices, depending on how you do these calculations. It's between you know, 50 and 100 million. Um, and obviously it's more on desktop. But, you know, next to Android and iOS, which are you know, a billion or certainly in uh, iOS's case, running into well past sort of 700 million or so. So it depends how you work out product life cycles and secondhand device and all that kind of thing. Uh, but yes, it's it's really a, a scale of ambition thing here. And it's probably worth pointing out that it, it's sort of Windows everywhere and some. Um, we're talking about obviously phones, but there's also seven inch tablets and there's sort of bigger tablets, transformer devices, traditional laptops, uh, traditional kind of desktop computers. You can then start thinking about Xbox as well, but also going down the other end, it's sort of 
Windows 10 for the Internet of Things, and there's actually going to be a version of Windows for the Raspberry Pi 2, which I think is interesting. You can also think about it on TVs and other embedded devices. And, of course, the one that you know, has attracted loads of attention is HoloLens, which is uh, a kind of... Uh, I would describe it as more augmented reality than virtual reality because you know you can actually still see things through it and most of its best examples are AR, though in theory it can sort of do a certain amount of VR too. And it's just, you know, a big headset that fits over your your ears and your eyes um and you know, projects things directly onto your onto your vision so that you can sort of have as Microsoft describe it, sort of apps appearing on the wall. You can kind of have a Skype picture. You can have uh, the weather forecast sitting on your coffee table. You can have it appear over objects and do design. Um, in the particular build demo, they were having it control a robot, sort of some minority report-esque UI and things like that. So, I mean, really very powerful. And certainly you look at that and you go, yes, I can see that as a, a future of computing. I wouldn't get too carried away at this point in time because there aren't really anything much on uh, release dates and i think it's unclear how well this sort of thing will do but of all the recent kind of computing efforts we've seen i think actually hololens is one of the most interesting ones in terms of radically changing what we think of uh, computing as you know compared to something like uh, google glass or even some of the uh, vr headsets we've talked about in the past oculus rift or uh, htc vive which are targeted quite specific things it, it's absolutely possible to see hololens replacing the computer because essentially what it does is it makes the monitor you know, that you traditionally use completely redundant and the monitor has always been an artificial thing you know that's where you see the visual display and it's fixed in in place of course there isn't actually any need to do that and that to me is why hololens was the most exciting bit of hardware but there was lots and lots of mobile stuff so a bit of a, a sidetrack from the one billion i suspect of those one billion not all that many will be hololens to begin with it will be expensive and be a bit niche but uh side bit i think that's going to be really interesting in the future steve yeah absolutely and uh, just looking ahead to, to one something else they said they were talking about um windows store will be available to end users businesses and developers right once run anywhere applications just to make this point clear that the thing i've been excited with um with windows 10 over the last 12 months or so really i mean if you look at the mac world for example you've got mac os 10 and you've got ios which is basically based on the kernel of mac os but isn't the same they're very very different um, physical operating systems and you've got the google world you've got android and you've got Chrome, and they're, they're, they are physically different operating systems. And Microsoft is coming along. Who'd have thought it from Microsoft 10 years ago? We know Microsoft was the old fuddy-duddies, and here they are breaking literally new ground. They have one store um, that will op offer applications that will run on all of these different form factors. You just went through the entire gamut, right down from the Raspberry Pi, right up to the, the largest surface wall thing they've got to the HoloLens, essentially the same applications. I just think it's a really huge, huge vision. And I I, I think they are actually going to pull this off. I, I agree. I mean, from a technical point of view, it's not quite as simple as you know, some of the language they use would suggest. But certainly when we start thinking about single binaries, and it, it's this vision, I think, that's more important than anything else. And certainly they are putting the technical bits in place, and they've actually been doing so for some time. You know, that's when Windows Phone got the common core last time round with kind of desktop windows and that's continuing there's more shared stuff and certainly this idea of universal apps that you, you know can run on anything i think is really very exciting indeed we saw more demos of those most notably more from uh, third parties and it was just some of the little stuff like uh, usa today kind of a news app uh, i guess you'd say it's equivalent of one of the newspapers in the uk and 
you know, it was a similar app experience across all the devices. And then they started to tie together some of the kind of the shared history. And so when you opened up uh, an app on the phone, so looked at a news story, you opened it up on the desktop, you'd see that same news story and that kind of continuity. We've been hearing a lot about this you know, over the years, uh, last couple of years, I think in particular, as people have got used to the idea of having multiple devices and, and Google and Apple have both very much promoted the cloud as a way to kind of keep your data and to a certain extent, some of the experiences in sync. I think Apple was one of the early movers on this and you, you see it um, with handover and the ability to be looking at a document on one device and move to another device and, and email and things like that. But uh, they've kind of been fixes over the top, as you were suggesting there. And so I think Microsoft is much further along the road in having this kind of this true, this vision of one device, one platform, uh, sort of everywhere. And, you know, it isn't actually one device, but it is effective as far as the user is concerned, because they'll get the same thing everywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's a grand vision. I think it will take a while to implement. So you know, don't expect it to suddenly just appear. But I think it's, uh, for me, it's it's clearly the future. It's been a long time come. We've been, we've talked about it on, on past podcasts. And so very exciting. And to see some of that actually come to fruition in the universal app demos. And we've seen it in Office, we've seen it in Maps, and we've now seen it in some of the third party uh, applications. And actually there's a whole bunch of new uh, developer work underlying that. Microsoft is doing a lot more in the, the cloud space. Uh, that's always been mobile first, cloud uh, first, as Satya Nadella has talked about it, the new Microsoft CEO. And if I can pick out kind of one example to just try and illustrate this, uh, a lot of people use Office on a regular basis. Um, some will know that there's add-ins available, which is effectively you can add uh, third-party functionality to Microsoft's productivity applications. Um, it could be a particular way to do a calculation Excel. It could be an additional drawing feature for PowerPoint uh, and all sorts of other things. Uh, now, what Microsoft actually announced at Build 2015 was this um, ability to turn Office into a platform was going to apply to the universal apps. And so you would have these add-ins, these third-party additions to these core programs that are so important to Microsoft would work across all of these devices as well. So the new universal versions of Office have universal add-ins. So suddenly the add-in that you use on your desktop PC will also work on your mobile device. And to me, that sort of starts to give you an idea of the power of these universal apps. And, you know, Office is a platform with something that Microsoft has talked about before. And what I mean by that is the ability to run what are effectively mini applications within and on top of Office. But they've been, you know, restricted to the desktop. And we've always been used to having the mobile apps as kind of cut down functionality limited versions of their desktop cousins. That's changed a bit with the versions of Office that have come out for the iPad, iPhone and the Android smartphones. But you can see now with this, this really speaks to the idea that you're getting really the full version of Office and that you're going to get it across all of these devices. And actually, it's not just Windows devices. Uh, and I think that's you know a really powerful part of Microsoft's vision. And you can start to think about the implications that has elsewhere with Office just being kind of the archetype of this. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, to imagine all of that running on your phone, and, and they even went further, they announced this thing called Continuum, where... and. This is something we've seen for quite a few years in concept. The Motorola Atrix, I had one of those about two Indeed. or three years ago. And you, had, you basically plugged your phone into the back of a laptop and the laptop screen and keyboard used the phone's processor. And it, that was a real clash. And it used a kind of a, a separate OS partition to boot a version of I don't know, Linux or something there's a real clutch um this looks like it could actually work but there is one big caveat ray from that uh, if you imagine 
uh, running, you know, full blown office on a pushing all the pixels of a big screen monitor and managing Bluetooth uh, keyboard, Bluetooth mouse and all the other things that a phone has to do anyway. You, you're not going to do all that in a Snapdragon 400. And one thing they did say is that uh, to do this thing called continuum where you can literally plug your phone into an HDMI cable and then take over a nearby HDMI monitor. Uh, you are going to need some pretty meaty hardware in your phone. They did say that you will need premium new hardware. So I'm guessing that even the Snapdragon 800 of the Nokia 9, uh, Lumia 930, it is Nokia, isn't it? <laughs> the Lumia 930 won't be good enough. We will actually need the 940 or 1040, whatever comes next. It, it certainly sounds like it because I think actually there's additional hardware presumably on the graphics side required to have those two separate screens running side by side or actually they won't be side by side but they'll certainly be simultaneous uh, just to kind of explain some of the benefits of continuum this is the idea that you can have you know your phone and you've got as you say something like excel or it could be your photo album running on your phone when you attach it via an hdmi cable and i do wonder whether that might become wireless in the future uh, and add a mouse and a keyboard the idea is you then get kind of what microsoft's term a full computing experience but what it really means is that version of excel that's running on your phone gets expanded out into a full version as if it was running on a desktop pc and it works because underlying all of this is the universal apps and presumably there's going to be you know something in the code the binaries that says you know i'm flexible enough to run across all of these screen real estates um whether that's going to directly tie into the, the kind of the desktop version I, I think it's actually more likely to tie into the tablet versions and be bigger there you know microsoft haven't gone into the full level of technical detail they're sort of really talking about that over the next few days of build um, but i think it's very interesting just the caveat that you know this is kind of the vision it takes a while to get there and there's no you know guarantee that third-party applications will necessarily support this kind of thing but actually even just having it as the ability to do kind of some of the core microsoft apps that gets very interesting that you can you know do your word excel editing and not be limited by the screen on your phone or you can show off photos and videos it, it, it's it sounds like a more attractive implementation of as you say things like the motorola atrix we've seen ubuntu try and do something similar with some of their phones i'm, I'm somewhat skeptical because this has been tried before and i i do wonder whether it's something that people really want but it's interesting it does make you wonder does the idea of kind of having multiple devices start to go away if you can do everything from a phone and certainly we've seen that happen a little bit for some people in the tablet world i think those who are maybe more into that technology are slightly horrified by that prospect but you can sort of certainly see it makes sense from a cost point of view and just having a single device and it's a kind of a return to what computing always used to be about in one sense because so much of it is going to sit elsewhere in terms of the power and the processing and the storage for some of the cloud components of particularly in the case of line of business and productivity applications. I think that's that's interesting. As you say, it is going to be on, on just this new hardware, but it's interesting. We were wondering on a previous podcast, Steve, what would be the distinction that set these high-end phones apart from everyone else? And we were trying to think of kind of hardware features and talking about new bits for the camera and things like that. Actually, it hadn't really occurred to us to think about the software, which is kind of um, <laughs> stupid on our part, if I can uh, insult you there, Steve, insult myself at the same time, um, because actually that's what's happened before. You know, we've had the new imaging experiences appear first on the high-end phones and then work their way down, and obviously something similar would happen. I don't think it would come onto existing devices, but give it a couple of years and you won't bat an eyelid that a, a mid-tier or a low-end phone will be able to do this. And so 
if this is one of the software goodies that kind of awaits the new high-end Windows 10 Lumia device, I think that's going to make it very attractive. And it's certainly going to make it stand out from the crowd because it's not really something that you can do with iOS or Android at all. And maybe that's what is the distinguishing feature needed to make people have a, have a second look at the high-end Lumia devices. It, yeah, certainly a signpost as to what people might be doing in a few years' time. I still suspect that this kind of a wander into a hotel room, you know, plug your, your phone in via an HDMI cable to the monitor and then get all the Bluetooth things set up, whether that's perhaps even too much trouble for the, the hardcore enthusiast at the moment. But uh, as you say, give it a few years. Who knows? Perceptions may change. More and more people now are doing more and more on their phones. I, I, I certainly suspect that uh, for many people, that their phone is their main screen throughout the day, apart from, you know, whatever they have to do for their work. So if you just take extrapolate that another two or three years, you get to the point where your phone is your main screen for 80, 90% of the day. And and yes, then being able to just perhaps wirelessly cast it to your 46-inch screen TV and just pull out your Bluetooth um, trackball with keyboard. And all of a sudden, yes, you're off to the races surfing on a big screen and actually all driven by the phone. And yes, I think the, we need much more powerful phones and we need a lot, kind of a change in attitudes, a change in the way people work. But it, it could ab absolutely happen. Yeah, I mean, I think we should say that it's kind of an idealized vision at the moment, but you have to be ambitious and try something. I mean, I think Microsoft is actually being quite brave here and trying something a bit different. You know, they, they do have form a little bit for sort of talking about the new vision of things to come and not actually enacting on it. But I, I do think we're looking at a very different Microsoft to a few years ago. It's been somewhat humbled by what happened to it in the mobile space and things like HoloLens, things like putting all their, apps and services across all devices and you're not you know, the, the idea it's only windows it's now kind of microsoft everywhere regardless of the platform yet it's great to see them still you know pushing the boundaries on their own platform and it this feels a little bit more organic a bit more sensible than the other approaches and absolutely as you say you, you think a few years down the road it's entirely possible to to see this happening and you know you can imagine uh, monitors and Bluetooth keyboards. It's it's not hard to sort of imagine a a workplace where you come and sort of plug into those things. And you know the memory and the processing power of phones has been going up all the time, and you know that will continue to happen. So you know, if you think how far we've come in just a few years, you uh, put it a few more years down the road, and it's certainly going to be the equal of a lot of people's sort of laptops and desktop computers. Now, don't get me wrong; it's not like those things are going to disappear altogether, and I don't think it happen anytime soon. But there is that convenience of the device that you carry with you all the time. And if you ever do need that full thing, actually with Windows, you would then have the kind of the same apps with the same cloud sort of data on the back end, all those other bits and pieces sort of common between it. That's a pretty compelling vision of the future of computing. And I think Microsoft, you know, in terms of, you know, just that ideal, it, it, it looks more attractive than anything I've seen yeah. from, from Google or Apple. Yeah, yeah, and I, even today, actually, this today, literally, I'm going to be doing exactly the same kind of thing. Because when I walk into, for example, to you know, head out to chill at the end of the evening, I wander into the bedroom, and I've got I want to see something on Netflix, and I've got the choice of Netflix on my laptop or on my phone, or to cast it across to my my TV in the corner of the bedroom. All different size screens, and I think I, I need this content. Which screen shall I watch it on? Watch it on today. Um, I want to read my emails. Which screen shall I read my emails on today? At the moment, they're kind of separate devices. They're linked, but yeah, it's absolutely possible to see that these things could be all driven from one you know, central device. So yeah, watch this space for the future. Um, the next thing I want to chat about, though, Rafe, is this probably the most controversial thing leading up to build. But there have been rumours that. Uh, 
Microsoft was going to let um, Windows 10 run Android applications. And it's, it's not quite like that. Now, just let me just get this straight, Rafe, to see if I've understood it. Uh, Microsoft's development environment is Visual Studio. And basically, that's an all-consuming umbrella SDK, an environment that you can compile for, that you can sort of write in .NET, Win32 applications from as in the ELD code. Um, and now, apparently, you can write in, uh, you can bring in your Android and Java and C++ code and your iOS Objective-C code, compile it within that Visual Studio without many changes. And as long as you don't do any too many outrageous things with Google Play services or particular APIs from Google, then in theory, what gets spat out at the other end will be a a Windows 10 application that you can submit to the store and people can run as a Windows program, even though it started out 99% Android or iOS code. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is a big announcement. I mean, people thought they were going to kind of pull a BlackBerry and put, you know, an emulator for Android onto their Windows 10 devices. That's not really what's happening here. I think in the case of Android, it's kind of more akin to what Amazon has done with its Kindle Fire devices in that there is kind of a, a runtime um, for for Android, but it will require sort of some APIs to be replaced for some of the Google mobile services specific stuff. But I, I just want to actually also draw a distinction between iOS and Android. But you're right, this is really about kind of co-opting some of the code that people are using to create their Android on their iOS apps and get it running on Windows devices. It's not just sort of um, an emulation there. It's not. It's actually more than that. And actually, there is, to say, a difference between iOS and Android. Uh, but you're right to identify Visual Studio is important here. There's been a lot going on, actually, in the kind of the Microsoft developer world. You know, when you th think about all the different types of apps, and you're, you're right, Visual Studio is the tool that Microsoft uses for that. And there are various different versions. And we can t think about things like uh, .NET and... Um, that's been changing in that they've been putting more into open source uh, and there's this, you know, obviously universal apps being introduced and there's various ways that you can create those. But I don't want to concentrate too much on that because I think that kind of technical detail, the developers should, should certainly go and have a look at it. Uh, and there is actually also a kind of a new IDE, uh, a kind of Visual Studio code, which um, actually allows you to create code for all sorts of different things, not just these uh, Windows apps we're talking about. But if we talk about Visual Studio, as most people understand it, the ID and the SDK that goes with that, effectively, we've got two new projects. One is Project Islandwood, which enables iOS developers to take their iOS apps and build them for Windows. So what Microsoft has done there is uh, developed an Objective-C toolchain, that's the language that iOS apps are, are written in, and provided a middleware layer that um, essentially emulates some of the system APIs that iOS expects to exist. Uh, and by doing all of that, you recompile the app and then it can run on a Windows device. And actually, uh, King's Candy Crush Saga for Windows Phone is one of the first apps to kind of take advantage of this technology with apps built that way. And obviously, a lot of us would have used that and, and found that it worked perfectly <laughs> well. Um, so, not, not me. <laughs> well, okay, not see Some of us listen to this podcast, hopefully. Um, Microsoft sort of were a bit cagey about this, but they said that there was only a few percent of the code that had to be changed. I, I think it's absolutely great that Microsoft is doing this because obviously developers like being able to reuse code. How well it works in practice really remains to be seen. And there's been plenty of attempts to do this kind of co-option and to do more cross-platform stuff. I think the level of abstraction and sort of API, it's going to make this fiendishly complicated, but it's certainly a very interesting solution. And if it works, um, and I 
honestly, I'm not enough of a technical expert and there's not enough evidence out there yet to really talk about this in a very convincing way. But you have to give the benefit of the doubt to Microsoft in one sense. It's certainly going to reduce the cost of porting iOS apps uh, to Windows Phone. And um, we're not actually clear on what sort of apps will come out. But I have tried Candy Crush Saga and you wouldn't know that it was using this technology until it was kind of announced. So let's also talk about uh, Android. That's Project Astoria, as uh, Microsoft referred to it as. Um, as as I said, there have been rumours about kind of um, Android apps running on Windows floating around for a while. And this is actually what this is really about. Um, what Microsoft, and actually it's going to be specifically on Windows Mobile, it's Windows Phone to you and me, um, will include an Android runtime layer that will let you run existing Android apps. It will be both the Java and the C++ ones unmodified. So big distinction from iOS there, which you have to rebuild. These Android apps can be unmodified. Um, it will in principle work with any old APK. That's kind of the equivalent of an executable file for Android uh, without the developer having to do anything but actually publish the app in the store. In practice, you know, that's how Amazon described it. It doesn't usually work like that. That's because Android consists of two things, the Android open source project part of it, and then the Google mobile services and an increasing number of Android's APIs. Uh, it's often referred to as Google Play services live in this. So it's things like maps for in-app purchasing, for uh, push notifications and a whole bunch of other capability. Um, those APIs uh, won't run on, on Windows 7 for obvious reasons because the Google stuff is proprietary. It's not the open source part of Android. Microsoft is going to, to provide equivalents. Um, it has said it's not going to do 100% of them. And so that means APKs that have those kind of APIs that haven't been sort of had equivalents created for or some kind of uh, translation layer won't run. I suspect that would actually be quite a lot of apps given that, you know, a lot of that core functionality, things like push notifications, location and maps are an important part of many apps. But some, it looks like, will uh, run unaided. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this works out in practice. I think actually what we'll end up seeing is much as we have for the Amazon kind of Kindle OS platform or Fire OS, I should say, is that developers have to make a bit of effort to get that conversion to work. And I wonder whether there might not be an extra bit of conversion because there's uh, you know, differences in design and styling. But certainly, again, it should make it much easier for developers to get a version of their Android app running on Windows. And, you know, will this close up the uh, app gap? Yeah, I think it's going to help with it. But more importantly, I just think it makes it uh, cheaper to do that port. And there are now a couple of options for developers to take. It's dangerous territory in one sense for Microsoft, I think particularly with the way the Android stuff is going, which is more of an emulator than a, a, a rebuild as in the iOS world. Um, but, you know, they have to be realistic about where they are in the smartphone space. You know, they are, you know, under 5% globally in terms of market share and apps have become so important. It's the one thing that people have always you know, put importance on. And if, you know, it enables more apps to come available on Windows, uh, it, there is a double-edged sword, because of course some developers will go, right, I won't bother to do a specific Windows version um, because I can use this kind of conversion process. Of course, that is now balanced against, you know, this rise of universal apps where you can have apps that run on, you know, the desktop, the PC and tablet as well as as phone. But I think for a lot of apps that don't make sense to run on on desktop you think about a lot of smartphone apps there isn't a lot of point in having the desktop equivalent because people might use a website or just not use them at all so universal apps you know aren't attractive for every use case um, and so bringing in these kind of conversions looks really interesting 
honestly, I'm still in two minds about this, digesting it a little bit. But on balance, I can really only see it as a plus point, especially considering the context of where Microsoft is now, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about lowering the the barriers to developers. So, so somebody who doesn't want to completely retrain for writing for Windows can think, okay, well, I've got my existing portfolio of 10 Android applications. Uh, none of them will run exactly as is, but with a, a modicum of work, maybe only a day's worth of work, I can use more or less my existing code and get them straight away in the Windows 10 Microsoft Store. So uh, absolutely, I think it's just all about lowering the barriers for those people and to get more, more applications on board and more developers. And who cares if they're not writing native Windows code? At their least, at least they're writing for Windows 10, the platform, and they'll run on the Windows phones that uh, you and I have in our hands. So yeah. Indeed. Uh, and I think the, the one big argument against this that people are probably worried about is they won't feel like Windows apps. And I think if anyone's used the Android apps on BlackBerry devices, they'll certainly be familiar with the idea <laughs> of that, where they don't work very well. But it's probably worth saying, Steve, that one of the things that got talked about at Bill was there are subtle changes coming to the design language. And actually, if you look at them, it, it's going to move Windows in one sense closer uh, to Android and iOS in the way it does some things. Not everything that actually I wonder how alien some of these apps will feel. I mean, uh, BlackBerry 10 is, is quite different to Android in many ways in some of its interactions. You know, uh, I've actually said before that actually I'm a little worried about Windows 10 because I really like the modern UI and the way that Windows Phone does things. Um, but obviously, with the move towards having kind of Windows, one Windows everywhere, some of that has to go away because you kind of want to have a commonality. Um, I mean, is that worth talking about as a topic yeah. now, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Albert from the design team actually uh, at Microsoft actually went into a whole, I mean, about two or 3,000 word post. We're basically re replying to everyone's comments about hamburger menus and pivots and toolbars and controls and views. There's a lot there. I would recommend people follow the link at the very top of my article, which goes to blogs.windows.com. I didn't put links in the individual um, sections of the story, by the way, Rafe, because uh, the Azure platform uh, was actually down this morning, which is rather embarrassing for Microsoft. It meant that all the, the Windows blogs were down and I couldn't link to them. They were down all morning in the UK time. So I think I probably back up by now. But yes, Albert went into all this detail. And the big thing I take away is I absolutely see the, the, the debates that have had to go on internally to make this common interface that works on all the different platforms include, and all the different form factors all at the same time. But they have made some concessions. This is the critical bit, Rafe. They recognize the fact that where they've got things like these hamburger menus, so-called, where they fly out, things fly out from the left, they are for navigating on a macroscopic level within applications. And all the stuff you do every, all day long, you know, deleting messages, um, navigating around between columns of data, um, uh, kicking off a, a delete function, something like that, something you do all day long, those common tool things will stay on a toolbar at the bottom of the screen and Windows um, 10 for phones applications. So the actual, the core of the uh, experience will still be there in terms of finger-friendly um, navigation and controls. Whether they have stick to the, the pivots and the panorama views quite so much is another matter. We In the OneDrive application, which they, one of the first um, sort of modern Windows applications in the 20, end of 2014, where they started just changing the design language slightly. There was a bit of a, a reaction. They then tweaked it slightly, but it still ha ends up looking like a Windows 10 application, half Windows 10, half the old style. But again, the controls are at the bottom of the screen. So as long as they stay there, and I'm very much hoping the web browser manages to keep the, uh, the URL bar at the bottom of the screen for phones, then I think, I think most Windows uh, and Windows phone users will actually end up happy after all. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting discussion point. 
and you know there is a bit of wait and see on this and honestly until you actually use it for a while it's hard to draw any judgment i'm sure there's going to be initial change shock and the familiarity principle dictates that you're never going to be entirely happy at first and then you kind of get used to it and wondered how you ever cope without it but it was very interesting seeing that microsoft quite clearly identify that there is this sort of um, desire to have a sort of consistency and standardization but without being kind of cloned across all instances uh, i mean for those that remember windows mobile devices with the kind of slightly kludgy start menu and where it really was a, a it felt like a shrunk down version of windows on phones there's clearly a move away from that it's not a repeat of that at all if anything what we're seeing is you know uh, windows phone influenced desktop windows far more heavily than anyone ever thought it would and i guess i would describe this in in the way that you can use for kind of web technology this is mobile first and then progressive enhancement and so you kind of get more functionality or different types of navigation and interface as you go up in screen sizes uh, it's difficult to know how well this works. Certainly some of the demos look you know, very smart. And you know, having used uh, Windows 10 on both the phone and uh, on a laptop in kind of early releases in these kind of insider builds, it's starting to feel quite promising. And certainly reading Albert's post, you do feel quite confident that Microsoft are aware of this issue. I would say it's probably for me the most difficult uh, thing to solve. And it's it's been everywhere you know, this idea of creating one consistent UI that works across all devices, I think flies in the face of kind of what is the easiest thing to do, which is actually to just think about the device as a singular thing and create the best possible experience. When you have to start, you know, making compromises in order for it to work on other devices, you sort of go, is that really the best approach or should you be very singular, very focused on one device? But I firmly believe we are actually moving away from this age where everyone just uses one device it's it's kind of already happened and we're very used to having uh, smartphones feel different to our desktop computers but is that a good thing should it really be like that doesn't that just make technology more confusing to use and so certainly i love the idea of the ideal of having that consistency of experience and it's not the same experience it's sort of the same principles and you know if you talk to a ux person they'll talk about design principles and then the designer might talk about design language and design principles so it doesn't mean a cloning of the same experience from one device to another and actually it's easiest to talk about screen size um, rather than just devices yeah i absolutely want to see that happen and i think it's a very hard thing to get right and i think that's reflected in all the failed attempts in the past but it's absolutely worth doing and it's absolutely um where we're going and it starts to make even more sense as the devices in our pockets those with the smaller screens become so powerful that it kind of makes sense that they become the sort of central device the one that you have and then everything else is kind of surrounding that in you know i don't want to call it a dance or a sort of a network but that's what it does feel like and it might be the kind of notification screen that's on your wrist it might be your tv in the home or you know a desktop computer or a monitor but absolutely the mobile phone is the one that's with you all the time so it makes sense to kind of have that as the central heartbeat you know your your home place in the digital world and you know all of these issues that we're talking about i think are really far-reaching and you know build has made me start thinking about them but there's definitely a lot more to digest and to actually see how this works uh, and i yeah. don't doubt where where microsoft is going others are going to follow 
Yeah. yeah. You mentioned risk there. Just to mention, we do have a Microsoft band uh, UK retail unit uh, in, in house review, and the review should be up in the next couple of days. So watch the space for that. So as Rafe was talking about wrist there, I was actually reading my emails on my wrist, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, with with uh, a Windows phone. We yeah, and we're going to talk about more about the band um, in a future yeah. future episode. I think you know that's still kind of experimental, and there's certainly a sense that Microsoft is going to do all of this stuff with Windows 10. I suspect it may take a version or two for some of it to to shake out and get really polished. I know one of the other things you were going to talk about, uh, Steve, was the new browser. So tell me a little more about that. Yes, uh, I rather like the name Project Spartan. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't played that much with it on the on the phone, but I've been playing with it on the desktop, being quite impressed, it, albeit on my rather aging Dell laptop, which is now six years old, but it runs Windows 10 just fine. They've renamed it um, Microsoft Edge, and I can see why they've done it. Now, let's just this is the how the conversation went at Microsoft HQ. They thought, well, we can't name it Spartan, because what's the icon going to be? And they drew various little, I don't know, a Spartacus, or, or they might, the less letter S, all sorts of wacky Grecian designs, who knows, a Spartan, something from the Halo series, perhaps. I think that's where the name first came from, one of the sci-fi characters or icons or logos. And then nothing, they thought, well, the user's not going to recognize that. How will they know that's the web browser? And someone said, well, we, surely we need to make it look like the old one. Well, what was that? It was a blue E. Well, let, let's make the new one a blue E, but slightly different. But, but, but Spartan doesn't begin with an E. Well, let's pick another name that starts with E. So they ran around the room, I don't know, Echo is a homage to Rafe Blanford. Um, <laughs> Excellent. It's a homage to Wayne's World. And they thought, well, Edge. Oh, that'll do. Yeah. All right, Edge. It begins with E. We can use the same logo and it became Microsoft Edge. I think it's a rather naff name, I have to say, but I do think the, the user at the end of the day will see the same blue uh, E logo on their screen and think, oh, yes, that's the web browser. I'll double click that. I think that everyone will actually be happy in the end. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, that sake of familiarity, I think, is very important. And especially as. Uh, this is intended in time, I would imagine, to completely replace uh, Internet Explorer, but you can't get rid of Internet Explorer altogether uh, because it's required for a lot of legacy systems. But this idea that there'll be kind of an easy transfer and just make easy things for users, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And actually, the new logo looks very similar. It's just sort of, I guess, the E, the top of the E's got a, a tail on it. But um, I think the interesting thing about Edge is it does start to introduce some new ideas into the browser. I mean, Microsoft has been relatively tight-lipped about what's going to be in the fi final version, but we do know that it's going to have very deep Cortana integration, as is indeed Windows 10 uh, more generally. It's all also going to have a built-in note-taker and sort of more powerful sharing options. And the design itself is very much focused around simplicity. It's sort of make the most of the browser as a canvas with sort of all the controls kind of getting out of the way. And it's obviously got a new rendering engine. So it'll be interesting to see what that does to all the browser scores, i.e. is, you know, something of a swear word in web browser development circles, um, certainly compared to some of the WebKit-based browsers and uh, Safari and Chrome, which I guess are the, the two big, uh, along with Firefox, I should say, you know, the three big uh, competitors. So... I mean, I, I'm interested to see more about Edge. And I think, again, it speaks to the way Microsoft is sort of looking at things, not afraid to have a fresh start. And I am kind of intrigued by this idea of being able to annotate uh, web pages. And, you know, if that takes off, that could be really interesting because it adds, you know, your own layer of notes to the 
to the web. And again, there's been loads of attempts to do this, but doing it on a platform that has the scale of something like Windows and then that ability to share with friends and family, especially as I think this so this sense of doing it with touch, which there's going to be a lot more touch device, obviously. And, you know, it's something that smartphone users, you know, the idea of annotating or adding things to photographs, they're kind of familiar with. So maybe it's a, an idea whose, you know, time has come before it's just been too early. Uh, it does depend, of course, how all this is, is implemented. Uh, it's been interesting to see this. So it's kind of an early version of it. You can actually get it in the current uh, insider build for Windows for phones on desktop, but it's kind of not a complete feature complete version it hasn't got some of the extras but it's really about uh, letting developers try out the rendering engine but uh microsoft yeah. edge is in some ways the, the most intriguing thing because again it's it's pushing back against you know the traditional idea of the browser while actually taking the very best of the current things which is you know as i say this idea of a very minimal kind of tool set and interaction you know no extraneous add-ons and just making it a bigger piece of canvas as possible you know as much of the web page on screen at any one time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued by that. And, you know, I've tried it in um, the various uh, insider builds. is isn't really much to sort of make it stand out you know, from from other things at the moment. So it'd be interesting. So I'm, I, I don't want to be too sceptical about this because actually I like the idea of it. But again, I do wonder whether this is sort of, um, actually we should probably be more excited about the fact this is a new rendering engine that's going to make it much more standards compliant and actually some of the extras will largely become irrelevant or just won't take off but uh yeah we'll have to wait and see yet again on this one yeah yeah i did i did take your point there about uh it being touch 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 everywhere i think in within two or three years people will be used to seeing every screen being a touch screen already kids wander up to a laptop and they try touching the screen and leaving greasy fingerprints <laughs> expecting things to happen on the screen and you can now get touch screen laptops obviously tablets are touch all touch phones are now all touch and you can now start to get desktop monitors, which are touch accessible. So, yes, in two or three years' time, people can expect to be able to touch their web browser, draw things on it, annotate things, drag things around. And I also love the uh, Cortana integration, which they demoed yesterday, and the way things just pop up uh, near where you're typing and looking for stuff, and it pops up things that it's found, it thinks you might enjoy, or that are relevant. And that's ex exactly what we want, a web browser which is more intelligent. So I'm all for it, yeah. Yeah, I agree, because, I mean, this is the thing for me. Browsers haven't changed all that much. You know, we've seen advances in kind of web technologies that underlying things used to write and create page. But the basic browser hasn't really changed all that much since the, the early days of, well, you know, going right back to things like Netscape, you know, the underlying principles. So I wonder if there, there is room for something more. And certainly this, you know, Cortana integration and some of the intelligence that provides and also this annotation, it could turn it into a sort of more conversational affair and I think a lot of you know, people would be quite sniffy about that kind of thing. But it, I just wonder whether that might actually be interesting. And certainly I've been using uh, a Microsoft Surface Pro and I've used the touch on that far more than I ever thought I would. And I have used it for annotating PDF documents and so doing various bits of drawing, extending that as a, a my canvas for doing that to web pages and then the ability to maybe share that with others. So you can highlight a particular thing or, you know, an image or just a piece of content on the page. Yeah, it, it does seem interesting to me, that. Yeah, yeah. One last thing before we finish, Rafe, because let's move on from Windows 10. I know we're kind of out of time, but um, to say that I did solve a problem which has been plaguing a lot of people who've got Lumen 1520s and 930s, and I, I haven't heard from anyone with an 830 who had the problem, but a Lumia Camera 5, which came along with Lumia Denim, um, did rather misbehave and mess up the uh, auto-rotation on some of these devices. My 930, five seconds, and I demoed it in, in our, our 
featured story at the start. Five seconds to switch from portrait to landscape, then another five seconds to switch back. It was a nightmare. And I've heard with people with 15, 20s with exactly the same problem. The rumor was that if you just re- completely hard reset your, your device and then restored all your stuff, that it would go away and that it would work fine. And indeed it does. So obviously something was hanging around from Lumia Scion. Um, that was that was somehow making it through the upgrade procedure, despite all that Microsoft's migration stuff as part of the upgrade was hanging around and causing problems. Um, so I bit the bullet. I took one for the team again, <laughs> and I completely hard reset my 930 after doing the uh, the, the backup in, in the settings. And to my great surprise, almost everything came back. Um, I was very actually very impressed. If you if you if you reset and then restore in the right order with your main sim card in so that it can it knows you're you and it's got the, that that level of authentication and you yes yes i want to pick i want to restore from that latest backup and you pick it off screen and do everything in exactly the right order and if you're patient then everything comes back really right down to your start screen layout uh, most of your settings um, you, at most, I had to uh, log into a few services again and supply passwords. And I guess the biggest thing for me was that I actually had to, um, my photos, my locally stored photos on the phone were gone. So I had to then re-download them from OneDrive, which is fine, except that I, I'd lost the 5 megapixel oversampled versions. I was then downloading the 20, uh, you know, 20 megapixel, 16 megapixel, 6 megabyte versions. <laughs> that was a kind of bit, kind of inefficient. And it stops me then doing any um, oversampling on the phone again so that was a minor irritation but the the, the, the thing of actually solving this problem that's been plaguing 15 20 and 9 30 owners for so, so long it really pleased me and i can recommend it to anyone else who's having the same problem yeah it's interesting to see you you fix that problem and yeah i mean backup and restore certainly got better i've had the, the same frustration of bits of data that aren't included and not coming back and i guess there's been progress on that all the time i've actually got a few apps that sort of get their settings uh, backed up that way as well and i think most notable yeah. of these are some of the microsoft apps for things like news and weather as well uh, more progress on that but uh, just hearing you describe that process does remind me what a contrast that is to a few years ago where windows so really was a laggard in that regard and now it's actually not all that different to Android and iOS, and they equally have their same problems with certain bits of data. So, you know, Microsoft do deserve some credit for kind of, you know, playing catch up there. I hope long may that sort of continue, that they sort of take it a little bit further. Uh, but I had exactly the same experience. You actually reset the uh, Lumia 640 from kind of the default uh, mode that you get out of the box and thought, oh, I'll set it up with a backup from one of my other devices. Uh was a bit problematic in that basically by the time it had finished, it actually almost filled up the memory of the device and <laughs> I didn't have a micro SD card on it, so I wasn't able to install some of the apps elsewhere, which just goes to show actually the benefit of having a um, micro SD card and having some of the apps restored back to there. Uh, but actually, in principle, it worked very well. And so suddenly it's become a lot easier really to switch between devices. And particularly if you sort of get away from storing too much content on the device and have this sense that it should be sitting in the cloud. And I guess it's things like music and video. I mean, as you said, I think the camera capture one is one that is still a problem because it is one that everybody uses. And we've talked about the, the problem with having multiple versions of the photos. And that just needs a little bit more thinking about. I can't believe it would be that much, that, that difficult to kind of think about that and, you know, describe some method for getting those back onto the device. And, you know, I, I don't want to see a proprietary image format or anything like that, but I do wonder whether you could upload some kind of file that kind of linked the two versions together and then there was an option where it, it gets complicated it, it's got messy we've mentioned it before but I still like to see it fixed yeah of course if you just plug your windows phone into a windows laptop you sure. can drag across the 
the the camera roll folder and then just drag it back back afterwards and nothing is lost. I just, I, a I was on a Mac and B I was being lazy and I was just I was also just curious to find out exactly what would be restored. And I haven't lost any the images. They're all in OneDrive. They're just the you know the full Indeed. resolution. And if I then want a lower resolution version, I have to either downsample it on a desktop or just email it because the email program does a very good job of completely <laughs> downsampling everything. Yeah. Let's not go down that rant again. We're out of time, Rafe. Um, we will talk we about. Various things to do with their build and the things that get announced the rest of the week in America in the next podcast. We'll also talk about the Microsoft ban and we'll hopefully also get to briefly to the 5, 540 that was announced recently that we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, rather embarrassingly, we managed to go through the last podcast without mentioning the phone that had been announced a few days before. It was the uh, 540 dual SIM, um, perhaps sort of testament to the fact there's loads of those devices at the moment. But it, it is interesting because it's kind of a high spec low-end phone i mean it sounds a contradiction in terms but things like the 720p screen the first time it's been on those 500 series devices does make it interesting but we did want to concentrate on build this week because that's obviously the big news and it's going to have the biggest effect on everyone the 540 is just one more device in that collection actually has relatively limited availability but all of this stuff out of build i don't know about you steve but it really made me look forward to windows 10 mobile really made me look forward to the new flagship lumias that are undoubtedly coming and, you know, uh, I think actually you know, against some of my initial expectations, actually Windows 10 for phones is going to be a much bigger upgrade and offer a whole bunch of new experiences more so than I, I was expecting. So, I mean, I would say it's going to potentially be as a, a bigger change as 7 to 8 or potentially even the introduction of Windows Phone in the first place, particularly if you're kind of bedded into that Microsoft ecosystem and using Windows and the associated Microsoft products and services on other devices. Yeah, yeah. For the first, uh, playing with Windows 10 on the laptop, I mean, for the first time in the last few weeks, I've kind of felt, well, do you know, I could actually move back to Windows at some point in 2015. Maybe by the end of this year, I'll be back in, in the land of Microsoft, uh, wow. Rafe, and, and Apple will be banished from my study. Who knows? But <laughs> uh, Let's anyway. not hold our breath. I mean, <laughs> a lot of, lot of wait and see, but hopefully this has been an interesting discussion for everybody. Um, yeah. Lots of feedback would be welcome. Any questions you've got, and we'll uh, try and get them covered. I'll say goodbye and I'll leave Steve to do the sign off for once. Yes, yes, surrounded by the gadgets in all form factors, including uh, smart watches and bands, of uh, which more in the next podcast. We will see you then and uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Bye for now.